You're going to have to take that towel off your head. If not, this isn't going to work. Hello, I'm Martina Svanvik. Welcome to the Lark Parati podcast, broadcast to you from the apocalypse carousel that you can hear through the mist. Voices today originate from Helsinki, Finland, Oslo, Norway, and London, England. My co-host is Simon Brind. Hello. We are joined today by Johanna Pettersson, a Finnish novelist and LARP and role-playing game designer. Thank you. It's great to be here. We will be talking about his recent work, upcoming projects, characters, and possibly arguing about some things he wrote 15 years ago. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Sand is the second most consumed natural resource in the world. It builds our cities and our roads. It lets light into our homes. And it is the thinking heart of the technology that brings us together. It is precious. It is important. And it is running out. At Pembleton's, we understand that every grain is precious. So this year, we're changing the way we do business to ensure that no sand is lost and no sand is wasted. There is a city at the very end of the world, the last city built from our golden grains. Sand cannot cry, so we must cry for it. Pembleton's House of Sand, because nothing is set in stone. So, Joanna, back in 2004, you said that the role player of today is lucky because they're able to literally invent new techniques and strategies of expression to every game since it's all uncharted territory and nothing's been set in stone. Is that still the case? Are we still seeing innovation or are designers just reinventing the wheel? I think we are still seeing uh, innovation. Like to, For me, if I think about those early days, like 15 years ago or more, I think that those were the times of like when the first longer movies were being made. Like you could put actors in front of a camera and it could last for two hours and uh, people were experimenting like different types of cuts. <laughs> and uh, you could do a lot of lot of new things. I think we've now, to continue this analogy, I think we've now continued to the point where where like we have... A, we have sound now. <laughs> we have we have reached that point. But I still think there is so much more territory that can be explored. It doesn't feel stagnant to me. And I think every time I feel like, ah, there's no new things happening, what I'm actually doing is that I'm aging and some young person in the scene is actually doing something great and cool. And my problem is that I don't know about it. <laughs> So, so in that sense, I think I think this point where it becomes hard to come up with new ideas in in a formal sense, I think that's like thirty years in the future. Maybe I'll be dead by then. So, what are you excited about right now? Well, this is a difficult time to get excited about LARP because of the coronavirus. But uh, optimistically, my feeling is that once this thing is over and we are vaccinated and we can LARP, I think the like the the year of LARPs that will go from there is going to be extraordinary because everybody has this energy that just wants to get out. I know that I do, and I think everybody else does too. And when, when that starts to happen, I think there will be some great LARPs. Yes, although for me, it might be like the year after that because it's like the, the 16 million cancelled LARPs of 2020 will uh, come up. And then after that, we need to actually come up with something new, which would be cool. 
Yeah, definitely. So you wrote a game, not a LARP, but a role-playing game called Bad Sex. Yes. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so it's a Bad Sex the role-playing game. It's, like There's different kinds of role-playing games. Some of them are very broad. There's a broad, big experience. You run a long campaign, uh, which deals with many subjects. And this is the opposite of that, the absolute opposite. Here we are laser-focused on one single experience, which is bad sex. And to define that a little bit further, uh, specifically I'm thinking about the kind of bad sex you have when you have the consenting adults who genuinely want to have sex with each other, but it just, it, it just sucks. It's terrible. <laughs> so so that's, the, that's the frame. And, uh, How do you role-play that? Well, I have found that the key is to really to embrace embrace the cringe because it's going to be extraordinarily embarrassing. And I, I find that the right way to do it is just to sort of settle into that that feeling of just describing those situations. But I found, uh, like when I was running test games, I found that people were surprisingly inspired with this subject. And a lot of, I think, in fact, everybody was using uh, a lot of experiences from real life and then just inventing something even more. It becomes kind of like almost a competition, like what's the most embarrassing thing that you can make yourself do? And then you do it. I think we're like, oh, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> like uh, you you play it in a constant state of face palming. <laughs> do you think it's easier to play or role play around bad sex than good sex? Definitely, I think it's easier for many reasons. I think it's easier to come up with uh, bad sex situations and scenarios that are more colorful. And I, I say this as somebody who also put in a, made a bunch of good sex cards to, in my bad sex card deck mechanism for the reason that it's more interesting if there is also something good in the sex that is not 100% bad, only like 80%. Uh, so in that sense, it's easier. But also, I think there is an emotional component to it in the sense that you have a kind of an alibi with bad sex. You are supposed to make it a train wreck. <laughs> and then when it's terrible, it's terrible. But with good sex, you, I think you kind of end up revealing a little bit more about yourself in a, in a way that I think is, is a little bit scarier for, for people. I think the alibi aspect of this is really interesting because we have uh, an option to play on is bad sex a dark theme i don't know maybe it is it's different enough from the norm for alibi to be more easily applicable i think so the further away from home you're playing the easier alibi is yeah like when i was designing it i purposefully made a kind of the setting as close to home as possible because I wouldn't want there to be like too much alibi. So that's why the characters are on, on the default assumed to be like contemporary people in the place where you're living, <laughs> like okay. in this area, in this country, like that would be in, in Finland for me. So that's the idea. But then I also put in there like a bunch of optional settings, like sci-fi bad sex and vampire bad sex and fantasy bad sex. Just because I thought that maybe if people find the find it too embarrassing, they want the more distance. So then, uh, then it's easier to do it with uh, elves and orcs who are having bad sex. So how do you play it? 
it's uh, so simple that it's difficult to explain in a sense like some simple things are like what you do is you start with character creation and coming up with the scenario there's a whole but there's a kind of a the card deck that you have is a is a random generator essentially for bad sex scenarios like who, who, what's the situation where are you and and who are the people who are present and then you get a bunch of things like you are in a church and you are a bunch of students and then why then there are a couple of things that every character has to have as part of character creation is not complicated but you need to have everybody has to have have some things that are present in everybody's character and those are like a persistence like if it goes bad you nevertheless don't stop because you just go on despite discomfort and and the other other thing is extremely bad communication if you need something, it's crucial not to tell it, to keep it to yourself. And often what you can do as a player, you can say it aloud in the game situation, because in the game we want people to communicate. For example, saying my back is cramping and I need to change positions, but I'm not telling you that. And the other player goes, aha, and then they can start playing on that to make it even worse. So that's basically how it goes. And then once we have the situation, we have the characters, we just start to describe the like freeform roleplay style. We start to describe it bit by bit, what everybody is doing, how they're feeling with a facilitator. And the job of the facilitator is to ask questions. And uh, a lot of the design is in, in that part, like what kind of questions to ask and what kind of things to talk about. Because uh, in this uh, case, players describing their feelings is very important and the feelings of the characters. So it makes sense that the facilitator should ask about that, like uh, in this moment, how are you feeling? What's what's happening there? And then the player can make it even more, even more embarrassing <laughs> in that moment. But I, I found that when I was facilitating it, like there was a kind of a difference in like sometimes, especially in the beginning, you need to because people are uncomfortable and it's awkward. And so on. And in other times, when it starts to move fast, then you just can sit back and it rolls by itself. Do you think it would translate to a LARP meta technique? Uh huh. I've been thinking about bad sex in a LARP. I have been thinking about that. But as part of the kind of the design is very low on meta technique, even as a tabletop game, because I, I thought that if you want, if you do it without mechanics, it's more immediate and more awkward. I've since thought that maybe it would have been more kind of accessible if I made it with mechanics that make it give you a bit more distance. But many people ask about making a bad sex LARP, and I I don't know. <laughs> I think there is demand, clearly, for, for something like this. But I don't know if it would be more embarrassing or less embarrassing if you did it like dry humping style bad sex where you literally act out all, all the awfulness because I, I can see also it being kind of fun where you just try to be I, I think the one meta technique you should have, should retain even when LARPing is, is, is this kind of like a player voice where you narrate things that you are not saying mm-hmm. because that's an important part of it okay I would like to talk about stories for our- uh-huh. <laughs> so you use the term infestation to describe the presence of stories in role-playing games. And obviously, we're specifically interested in LARP. But I wonder, can you unpack this statement for us? What is the issue here? For me, the issue 
of stories in LARP is, is that it feels like it's kind of a distraction from what's an interesting LARP experience. It's, it's like unnecessary goo <laughs> on, top of, on top, of, top of the thing that I really want to look at. Because what's interesting to me is the ability of LARP to kind of uh, mimic moment-to-moment human existence, like, like life, spontaneity of life. And, uh, and when I think about my own in most interesting lab experiences, often those are at, at this kind of level of resolution. And I don't think we live a story, but we make up stories of our lives. And in this sense, to me, like what I want to design and what I want to make is, is, is that it focuses on making those individual moments, the texture of life to really get there. And often to me it feels like the story is an abstraction. If it's if the story is if the story is a design goal, it's an abstraction that kind of hides these details of life from you, and that's why I don't like it. But uh, I admit that I am uh, some a little bit uh, of a fanatic over this question because I have had this same discussion with my literary editor, and, and I explained to her that when I'm writing a novel. I, I I do not think I'm making up stories, as she said, that this is bizarre. <laughs> so I consistently <laughs> keep this view, not only in LARP. You, you talked about bad sex having a scenario in it, which I would argue is at least a part of a story. So we're not just immersing in characters. The characters are in a location within a, a diegetic setting, a story world. And what happens is a story is created during the LARP. Yes, of course, of course, lots of stories are created during LARP, like an explosion of stories. But to me, that's like a thing that happens afterwards. Or like it's a, it generates those the same way life generates stories, like everyday life. And it's a natural phenomena, in a sense, part of part of how we make sense of things. But to me, it's not the point of it. It's just uh, like a like an exhaust fume <laughs> of LARP. I, I think every LARP I've made probably produces stories. I would be surprised if some player came out of there without a story. It would be confusing. But uh, to me, it's not really. To me, that's not really an interesting goal. It's just something that happens by itself. What about in tabletop games? In tabletop games, actually, it's more complicated in a sense because uh, I've thought about why do people want stories? What do they want when they want stories? What does what what's the need that they have? And I think some people really want these sort of narrative-style complex experiences, and that's one thing that I don't actually have a lot of lot to say about. I know it exists, but I'm not the person to talk about that. But then I think other people just want it to kind of make sense, uh, I think, which is more of a ba- more basic demand. And in tabletop games, what that where that comes up is in this is, is you, if you run a long campaign, and I love long campaigns; they're the best. So if I run a game that lasts for like five years. You want to well, you want there to be some long-term coherence, because if you feel that it, you're just wandering around pointlessly, it sucks. It, it doesn't feel good. But if you think that ah, oh, two years ago we were in this point, now we are at a completely different point. And I think that duration benefits a lot from 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 this kind of a feeling of a wider arc. But that to me is really in tabletop. It's the duration. In LARP, I never work with that kind of time scale, so it's uh, much less of a kind of a concern. 
have you have you played a long LARP? Like some of the UK ones have been going on for 20 years now. In the 90s, I played in a one-one LARP Chronicle very faithfully. Yeah, maybe that that had a more of a long narrative arc also. But this is I'm a, with LARPs. I'm, I'm so steeped in this Nordic uh, one-shot culture that uh, I don't. My analysis is not super interesting when it comes to longer LARP campaigns. No, I'm I'm trying to, I think, drill down a bit into your apparently passionate dislike of them. But you know, I I, I, I think I identify as an immersionist with narrativist tendencies rather than the hardcore narrative bunny that people think I am. Yeah, um, like for, for me, it's it's really even on those ta- long tabletop games. What's really the best moments of play are these kind of spontaneous moments during the game where something just comes up and uh, players are talking to each other, often often sort of almost like semi-LARPing, and it goes on. And what, what, what the kind of uh, narrative coherence and forward momentum is needed for is, is that so that those moments feel sensible and good. I think one thing that's, for me, this is my somewhat uh, self-flattering analysis, but I think my one thing that for me is that I I, I don't like stories, but I, I don't think I'm bad at them either. And this is important because if you are good at stories, then you can just make them up and think like, uh, okay, it's done. <laughs> it's not something you have to put energy into at all. There's this uh, old Forge game called the Primetime Adventures, and I had a friend who said about that game, what do you need this game for? It just produces the narrative arc of a normal TV show. Like anybody can do that. And of course, my friend who sent this comment is a professional screenwriter. <laughs> so, like, sure, anybody can do it. Anybody who can do it. I've got one more on stories, and then we'll move away from that. You said something in 2017 about the Italian LARP Black Friday pointing the way forwards for stories. And I'm wondering what that was. In Black Friday, I was just impressed by the depth of the fiction. Like everywhere you turned, this was so deep and and so kind of carefully crafted. And I thought like, there's so much stuff here. And I started to feel, okay, here when the illusion is so deep and there's so much to discover, that here I might be able to accept the idea that I, as the player, I was actually wrong. Because uh, because the illusion is so convincing, but of course that was uh, exotic to me because I'm not used to playing that kind of a LARP. I think ironically that that was a, a LARP that was heavily railroaded. There were three possible endings and only three possible endings, and it didn't matter what you did if you got this decision wrong, then the world would end. Yeah. Like uh, when you mentioned the endings, like what happened to me with Black Friday and happened to me has happened to me in some other LARPs as well, is the situation where uh, where the narrative kind of fails me at the end. And the reason it does that is that I have my own LARP experience that I have gone through 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 this LARP, and it doesn't connect to those endings. So then there is kind of this big official ending, and I'm kind of a tourist suddenly. I'm like, okay, I I was in a LARP, 
but my LARP and, and, and the LARP design kind of absolutely forces me to this ending. So I'm like, okay, this happened. I, I, I was killed, apparently. Surprise. <laughs> but this has happened to me like um, often, in, often in LARPs that have like a very big collective ending that says, okay, the LARP was about this. This happened. And I'm like, okay, that's not what happened to me, but let's go with that. Yeah. I think maybe like I could argue with you about stories for a long time, but it's probably <laughs> because my idea of story is different than these big plot things. And it's more about moods and feelings, like setting up the stage for the story that you're going to tell yourself. But I want to talk about characters, because in one of your articles of no- on NordicLARP.org, you wrote about giving people a way into the LARP through their character. I think the quote was that the character is a tool the player uses to access the fiction of the LARP. So what what makes a character a character? And do you think that's the only way that a player can access the fiction of a LARP? Do you need to have a character? I think you do. But the character can be very thin. But it's a question of like, who 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 are you? <laughs> what are you doing there? I think actually there's a very good example of an extremely thin character. That nevertheless, does exactly this in the TV series Westworld. In the beginning of the series, you see these guests to this Western world uh, theme park, and they they come off the train and they enter enter the town. And the question is like, who are these people in the fiction? And the Android hosts have a term for them. They call them the newcomers. And in that way, like they have characters, they are newcomers. So they have some kind of a role there. The fiction understands who these people are. They are newcomers. And and that's enough. That that that's entirely enough because then based on that, like when when a newcomer walks into the tavern, when a newcomer walks into down the street, there's some kind of a position they always have that makes sense inside the fictional framework and gives them access to it. And uh, I, I think in, in a sense in LARP, you can do this very simply with in this Westworld style, very basic concept, or you can do it, I think, in the, in the more common way by having quite a complicated character. And I think in, in, especially in LARP, uh, what's different from Westworld is that in LARP, the character also gives you access to the LARP in an internal sense. For example, if the LARP has a theme of uh, like power and betrayal, it's good to have a character where those themes come up so that they can part of your internal experience and internal game and you can think about them and they make sense. And to me, that's also part of like how the character gives you access to the, to the whole experience. I think it also provides you with alibi as well. That example of a LARP about betrayal, I want to be playing as far away from me as possible. Yes, yes, <laughs> quite, quite so. Because often, uh, often it's very socially awkward to do the kind of things that you that are fun to do in a LARP. So I think in this sense, also the the organizer made me do it. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a great thing because then you get just ah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and uh, and that's also very liberatory liberatory function of uh, how, how the character helps you psychologically get into it. Can we loop back to the Westworld example briefly? Because from the point of view of the androids, the newcomers made diegetic sense. But as a visitor to the park, as one of these newcomers, the lack of a character, I, I think kind of 
cuts you off from access to the, I'm going to say, plot here. Simply being a newcomer, being a tourist, doesn't provide an in to the story world as effectively as having even a thin character. I, I totally agree. But of course, I, I would, because I'm a LARPer and a LARP designer. <laughs> like when I'm watching Westworld, I think like that that experience could be so much more fun if it was... Uh, like the kind of experience I design. <laughs> I think it's really interesting because I, I work in a field where we're, we're sort of LARP adjacent, but not actually into LARP yet. And of course, I'm an evangelist, right? So I, I keep trying to push the idea of characters onto people making role-playing games for education. And most of them are very hesitant to give people that alibi. Like they like the idea of it, but they think that is the thing that's going to make people balk. The fact that you have to play something that you can't just passively enter. I'm wondering like, how do you give people alibi to accept the alibi? How do you convince them that, no, you need to put on the, the glasses and the coat in order to become the doctor rather than just being a witness to a scene. I've kind of seen this hesitation as well. Uh, and I think it's kind of easy to forget when you are LARPers, surrounded by LARPers who are so used to it that people just jump in. There was actually a trick that I, I, I saw a long time ago. I was uh, assisting in a children's LARP thing. And one part of the design was that like, like if you are a child in this LARP, you get a sword and then you can hit other people with your sword. But if you're shy, if you're hesitating, then you are cast like very on the spot cast as a wizard. And as a wizard, you get a little bag of beans that you can throw at other kids. And then there is a conveniently piled pile of swords. And at any time, you can stop being a wizard and you can become a fighter. You can become a warrior by just uh, picking up a sword. And, and the way that works is that when the children run around is that uh, at first, uh, all the people who have swords are uh, hitting each other with them. And then the wizards uh, kind of, they are shy, but but they are kind of seduced by the action. Then they throw their bean bags, and a little bit later, they just run to pick up a sword and run in there too. And I thought, ah, this is quite clever, because what this does is that this gives the kids who are shy kind of uh, that they can, they, they are not put on the spot. They are not, we, we don't go like a you, what do you do? Let's all look at you, 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 because that's intimidating. But instead, you can watch from the sidelines, and then when you feel comfortable, you can pick up the sword. But even when you run into it, it's not all about you at that point. You're just one of the crowd, uh, which is uh, which is normal in a LARP. And I think a lot of people, when they're presented with this idea of playing a character, they feel that, aha, are you going to put me on a stage? Is everybody going to look at me? And that's kind of... As a LARPer, you know that it doesn't work like that because in a LARP, like everybody's on the stage, <laughs> everybody's on the same stage. There's nobody in the audience <laughs> looking at anybody. But uh, but you don't know that if you are if if you don't have the experience. So I think in you know, that sense, like trying to design some kind of a mechanism where there is a possibility of standing in the sidelines at first and then joining in at your own kind of convenience could be the solution. Yeah, I think that's really clever, <laughs> actually, yeah. yeah. I think that's also at the root of the, you know, anyone who's been forced to do a corporate role play, and I don't know whether that is, is a peculiarly British problem, but 
the, the words, right, we're going to do a role play now in a training session, causes fear and distress. <laughs> the idea of corporate training role play also fills me with fear, even though I'm a LARPer of more than 20 years of LARPing. So yeah, I can't imagine what it's like for people who haven't like forced themselves to go out there and, and done improv for fun. Yeah. Speaking of improv, you also wrote a really interesting article about sketch comedy characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about your process for character. <laughs> there used to be in Finland this idea that there's a, like there's this complex another personality, the character, and you immerse in the character. These thought processes go in your mind. You, you might not even do anything because it's so interesting inside your mind. Amazing, amazing character immersion. It's kind of an ideal, and it sounds sophisticated and intellectual. And uh, that was kind of what I believed in because it was the environment where I came from. But then at some point, I had to kind of reflect on what I was actually doing in the LARPs where I went. And I realized that as a player, that's not actually me at all. I'm actually more of a bit of like an action junction. Like I like to, like if I'm not doing anything, then then, it, then I'm out of the LARP. If I'm actually doing something, then I, then I feel that I'm inside the fiction, I'm doing something. It makes sense to me. So then the question is like how to how to make a character that's functional in a kind of a crude basic sense and that uh, is distinct from other characters and that has some personality. I kind of ditched this idea of <laughs> creating a coherent personality like Finnish style and instead approach it from the other end of just like faking it. And sketch comedy is great for that because I find it easy you come up with a couple of things that are kind of funny or memorable and repeat those just endlessly. <laughs> and then after maybe eight hours of doing that, I find that the internal game starts to manifest. So I don't think about it at all. And then uh, it becomes, I get that Finnish style internal game kind of as an afterthought. It, it, the process generates it just if the LARP is long enough but it gets me through the difficult early part. The only problem with sketch comedy approach is that uh, sometimes those mannerisms are really hard to turn off <laughs> after the LARP is over because you're so ingrained. Give us some examples of things you do. What's a sketch comedy character? Like, what are the three things you would do to create one? Well, one thing that's really good is, is a good reaction. If, if, if something happens in the LARP, you always react in a very distinct way to that thing. And I was playing like a uh, violent idiot type of character, which is kind of one of my, those are, well, I like playing violent idiots, <laughs> but stress on the idiot, because that's what makes it fun. And I had this, uh, like every time something happens that I kind of like, I would uh, jump up, throw both hands in the air and say, yes. And uh, even if that was very inappropriate to do in that situation, <laughs> And then another good thing is is to have something that you just irrationally hate and, and talk to people about. I did this in College of Wizardry where I was playing a, a teacher and I decided that if I saw anybody hold their magic wand in their fist, I, I, I decided to hate that. So I called that the farmer's fist style. And if I saw a student hold the wand like that, I would go to them and say, like, what are you doing? Why are you holding your wand like that? Like, it looks horrible. And then the student goes, like, what? <laughs> what is this about? And that's, of course, very distinctive. And often I think it helps if the thing is, 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 is weird and a little bit stupid. Because if it's something that, because I don't want to, like, go around attacking people so they feel bad. 
But uh, but if they feel that it's it, the situation is is kind of intense, but also ridiculous, I think that's the ideal way to do it for me, because then uh, the other player can go like, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> why, why is this happening? But yeah, and then just like very basic stuff like catchphrases or like things that you always say. I think in in House of Craving, I had a I had this kind of phrase that I just kept repeating, which I think was it's a wonderful thing. And I think there was like situations I went like through entire scenes just with that one phrase. Because <laughs> when you do the sketch comedy thing that you really have this kind of a vocabulary of 200 words will get you through the whole LARP. And that brings a flashback. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. But we're using the term sketch comedy, but it's actually, it's not done for laughs. It's about using the sketch comedy approach to creating the character. Or are you actually yeah. um, doing this for your own? Yeah, like sometimes it's for laughs, but uh, but really it's about like making a character that's distinct, and not only to other people, but also distinct for myself. It's kind of a hack because the the idea with the sketch comedy character is that instead of creating a complex three dimensional being and then somehow being that in some magical way, I just come up with three habits and 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 repeat and repeat and repeat those. And then, and then slowly the LARP kind of builds up the rest of it inside me during the first day. So you've also written about being watched while LARPing and the effect of documentation crews. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, that is a complex question because on one hand, it's obvious that documentation changes LARP. If I see a camera documenting what I'm doing, I, I, I experience it differently. I become conscious of it. And uh, I, I think that can also be part of a LARP photographer's skill to be invisible. And some people really have that skill. But still, documentation changes the nature of the play. And then there is also in some, some LARP types, like, for example, House of Craving and Baphomet and this type of LARP, where the things that you expect to do in the LARP are not things that you want to see on the internet. You're, like You don't want to see photos of yourself in public doing those things. You want to have an expectation of privacy. But at the same time, also, like as an organizer, I want my LARPs to be documented. I want them to exist in history. Because I think at this point, uh, now Nordic LARP has existed for a long enough time that we can already feel the many of the early LARPs kind of uh, fading away. And, uh, and the only way new younger uh, LARP makers and players and uh, new generation of designers can even know about those LARPs is if there are photos, if there are articles, if there is some kind of documentation. Otherwise, they will just uh, disappear. My mother is a theater director and she's retired. But uh, but I remember there was like, I think it was the 20th anniversary celebration of, of the theater she founded. And she gave a speech. And in the speech, I remember one line, which which he says that after years and years of making theater, the only thing that you have as proof that all of that happened is uh, fading reviews and wounds that never heal. But uh, of course, when we make LARP, we don't even have the reviews because <laughs> nobody writes those. So what can you do? I think my solution to this is just because if nobody else writes articles about my games, then I just write more articles myself about my games, <laughs> as I have done. But in this sense, I'm a big believer in documentation. I want documentation everywhere, even though I know it also can have negative effects. And in some cases, like, like for example, I remember when I was uh, 
part of the crew running the second uh, Halathisa run. There were specific instances in the game where documentation was kind of a negative and we didn't didn't want that to happen because the scenes were too intimate or too private. Can you use it on purpose and make it part of the design in a way that enhances it? Uh-huh. I'm sure you can. <laughs> of course you can. Uh, I've never done it like... Oh, wait, wait, I have done it. Not, although I, I realized, because we made, of course, we made uh, the perfect human. And in the perfect human, the documentation is very integral to the whole thing. Because the idea is to is to play these stock photo people. But there was also an interesting discovery there. Because when you look at stock photos, the people in there are soulless and bland. And we tried our best to uh, imitate that aesthetic. Like uh, we designed the whole LARP so that people are well lit. They are dressed uh, in the right way. They are in the right kind of a physical space. They... They are always happy, smiling, and they are sitting too close to each other because that's always how people are in stock photos. But it's an interesting thing that in the photos you can see that they are they are exp- they are somehow too real. They are experiencing some emotions, and uh, and that's not what ever happens in stock photos. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. There was this uh, comedy sketch where the actress uh, Emilia Clark was doing like stock photos, and. Uh, and it was interesting because she was not creatively, I think, successful in the sense, in my view, that they didn't look like stock photos. They had all the trappings like we did with the LARP too. But her problem was that her face was too interesting. It's not bland, which is probably great if you want to be a very successful actress as she is. But it's terrible if you want to do stock photos because you have to be more generic. And she's not, so it doesn't work. And I thought that was interesting to find uh, because it, 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 I think it's a kind of a same type of problem. Or for us, it's not a problem because, uh, I mean, the LARP creates what it creates. But still, it was interesting to find that. So you've got a, a new book coming out. Can you tell us about it? I am very happy to tell you about it. So the book is called The Engines of Desire, LARP as the Art of Experience. And what this book is, is it's a collection of 31 essays and articles uh, about LARP, mostly design essays from the perspective of playing LARPs, designing LARPs, and then a more theoretical approach. All of this goes back to like how, how we do things in, in, in this Nordic LARP community, which is that uh, as a designer, you, you can make LARPs, then you can write about LARPs and the ideas you have. And you can go to LARPs and then you can write articles about thoughts you had while you went into those LARPs. And I've been doing uh, both of, like all all kinds of LARP writing around my own design practice and around things that other people have made for for pretty much my whole LARP career. And I realized that just just enough of these articles by this point that they can can be made into a book. So the book has around 20 older articles going back almost 20 years. Then it has nine new articles which I've mostly written during the last year. And uh, 460 pages, pretty hefty, I gotta say. <laughs> Bigger than I thought it would be. When's it coming out? It is coming out uh, this spring. Is it also going to be available online, or is it just like a physical tome? Yeah, yeah, I- I'll do a PDF, a PDF release as well. Cool. Do you have anything else you want to plug we published details on on a LARP that we're doing called Redemption, 
And the core team for that is uh, Maria Pettersson, myself, and then uh, Massi Hannula. Massi is producing and the LARP is based on uh, Maria's concept. And she's also doing character design and world design. And I'm there as a kind of a design creative lead. And the point, idea there is it's set in the last days of uh, Tsarist Russia. So just before the revolution in this religious sect where the basic idea is that it to be forgiven to achieve redemption, you have to sin. Because if you haven't sinned, then what is there to forgive? I mean, a terrible situation for anybody to find themselves in. And uh, of course, I, I think uh, if you're a LARP designer, that concept immediately explains itself. Because <laughs> it means that you have many different angles you can take to sin and uh, how, how to approach it. And that's going to be in November if pandemics and other things make it possible. Since this is definitely the kind of uh, LARP where you do have to get into other people's faces. There's a Facebook link and a website and everything, right? We'll, yeah. We'll put it in the episode. Of course, that's that's a terrible idea, right? Because there's limited spots and, and I want one. But, <laughs> but I'll still spread it far and wide. We're running it twice back to back, so there should be a little bit more, more space. It sounds really exciting. I think that's the last question we had time for. So thank you so much for coming on and talking to us, Ivana. Uh, it was really interesting. I hope you have a lovely spring in Helsinki and that the pandemic lets up freely soon so that we can play all the LARPs. That would be wonderful. And thanks for uh, having me. For the LARP Variety Podcast, I've been Martina Zomlik. I've been Simon Brend. And I've been Johanna Pettersson. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>